Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We're in class number 69. Today's class is being given Le'elui Nishmat Esther Batsara Maran Ruach Hashem Tanihena Began Eden sponsored by her family. May this class and all that comes from it be Le'elui Nishmata. Amen. Also, Refuash Lema of David Ben Esther. We've been speaking about the subject of de'aga, of worry. It's been a while, and we have basically taken the road of Shlomo HaMelech in Mishle, with the help of the words of Hazal and Masechet Sanhedrin. Hachamim basically explained to us what Shlomo HaMelech meant when he says, ish, that if a person has a worry, yashhena. We discussed different explanations of what yashhena means. Today I'd like to offer an explanation that is not said in the Gemara, but seems to fit with the words very beautifully. That if a person has worries, they're not able to beat those worries. Yesihena, like the Gemara says, Yesihena means turn it elsewhere. The Gemara says, Yesihena midato, turn it from your mind. But maybe we could learn it means Yesihena. Le'aherim, turn the worry to other people. Not like we learned, speak about it to other people. A different kind of turn. A turn where the person begins to worry about other people. In the Torah, we call that the Midah of Noseh Be'olim Havero. A person who carries the burden with his friend. That's what the words literally mean. Carrying the burden with another person. I think that today's class is going to sound a little bit difficult. And maybe at times sound impossible. And maybe at times sound depressing. But we must speak about it. We must try to understand it because the value of this discussion is too great to bypass and too important for our lives that we will be missing out tremendously as we'll soon see if we don't practice it or at least try to get somewhere in this midah. What exactly does it mean to carry the burden 
with my friend. The Pasuk says that when Moshe Rabbeinu was growing up, Vayirdal Moshe, Moshe became a very important person. As you know, he grew up in the palace of Paro. He went out to his brethren. And he saw their pain, their burdens. The Midrash comments on this Pasuk and says, What does it mean, Vayar? He saw their burdens. So the Midrash says, he would see them, how they're suffering, how they're working. And he would cry. Amen. Again, a man who is living in the palace, he has all the money in the world, he has all the fame in the world, he has security, he is royalty. And he comes out of his palace and he sees people suffering and he's crying. The Omer and he would say, Havali Alechem, which means he feels terrible for the way they are being treated. Moti Alechem, I wish I can die and rescue and save you. And he would go, says the Midrash. And he would take his shoulders and he would help the people that he would see. Continues the Midrash and says, Amara Kadosh Baruchu. Hashem says, Ata hinahta asakecha. You left your dealings. Moshe had a life like we all have a life. We all have things that we're involved in. You put aside your dealings, your issues, and you went to see the pain of Israel, and you treated them like a brother. Hashem says, "Ani meniach et ha'elyonim ve'etatachtonim." Hashem says, basically, I'm looking for someone to become the greatest man that ever lived. Someone that would take out Am Yisrael from Mitzrayim. Someone that would bring the Torah down into this world, the purpose of life. I'm looking for that person. It sounds like Hashem was looking in the Elyonim. Elyonim usually means angels in the upper worlds. Hashem says, I'm looking in the Tahtonim, I'm looking in the lower worlds, I'm looking for somebody that is appropriate for this once in a world opportunity. He says, I have found the man. You're that man. That's what it says. Hashem went to see when Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen, it's because of this. That's what the Midrash says.
So a few questions on this Midrash. Question number one. The way the Midrash explains, it seems that Moshe Rabbeinu got involved physically with Am Yisrael. You see, it says, he took his shoulders and he carried with him. So how come the Pasuk that the Midrash is coming to explain, the Pasuk says, Vayar besivlotam. He saw their burdens. According to the Midrash, he did more than that. He didn't just see. He wasn't just a spectator. He got involved. He worked with them. So why does the Pasuk seem to sell Moshe Rabbeinu short? It says he saw, but he did more than that. Why does the Pasuk not talk about the fact that he helped them physically? Why only focus on the fact that he saw and he watched? That's question number one. Question number two, the Midrash seems to be a little off. Because Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, you left your issues, your personal issues, and you went to see the tsar of Yisrael, you went to see the pain of the Jewish people, so therefore you're the man. I have chosen you. But in truth, did Moshe Rabbeinu help all the Jewish people? How many people could he have carried the bricks with? Two, five, ten, twenty. What does it say in the Midrash that Moshe Rabbeinu helped all of Am Yisrael? He couldn't have possibly helped every one of Am Yisrael. In order to answer this question, we have to be clear what exactly is this Midah of Noseh Be'olim Havera? In a book called Da'at Chokhmah Musar, he proves that this Midah is not the Midah of Ve'ahavta L'Re'acha Kamocha. We know the mitzvah to love every person. He says this is a different mitzvah. He proves it because in the Mishnah Perkei Avot, that talks about the midot that we need to succeed in life, it lists two separate ones. It says, Ohevet Abriyot, love people, treat them with love like you would love yourself. And it says, Nose Be'olim Havero. So it lists them at two separate characteristics. So it's not the same thing. So what is the difference? So he explains, is focused on our actions. When we help people, like we would help ourselves. When we would feed them, like we feed ourselves. When we would lift them, the way we would want ourselves to be lifted. Like Hillel told the convert, what you don't want done to yourself, don't do unto others. That's a mitzvah of action. Whenever you're there to help somebody, like you would help yourself, you're fulfilling the mitzvah, ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. 
But then there's another midah. This midah of Noseb the Olim Havero is not about what you do. It's about how you feel. It's about feeling the other person's pain. Forget if you can help him, if you did help them or you didn't. That isn't the focus of this midah. The focus of this midah, of course, if you feel someone's pain, you try to help them. That's obvious. If you feel someone's pain, you claim, and you don't help them when you could, then you obviously don't feel their pain. But the midah of noseh be'ol isn't about what you do. It's about how you feel. It's about seeing someone in pain and feeling their pain. It seems so foreign to us to even mention such, maybe what some would say is ridiculous. Feeling someone's pain? Who, who do you mean? Like, my son? Well, that's easy. I spoke to someone two nights ago who was literally crying. Him and his wife, you would think that something tragic happened to them. Nothing happened to them at all. Just that their son was in pain. It was a temporary pain. It's just a few weeks, maybe a few months. But they felt such a pain for their son's pain that you would think they're sitting in Avelut. That's the way it sounded like on the phone. The tears and the pain and we can't go on and we can't live like this. If I didn't tell you what happened, you would have thought someone's on his deathbed, one or both of them. So we know what that is. Hashem gave us some examples. You know, if we had this class and we never saw a mother in pain for her child, we would think this is impossible. To feel another person's pain, we would say is not natural. It doesn't even make sense. How? So Hashem gives us along the path of life examples to learn from. Hashem made this child-parent relationship and you see that parents actually feel the pain of their children. So it is a possibility that you can feel someone's pain. You're not in pain, but you feel their pain. How that works, Hashem runs the world. He figured it out. Noseb be'olim havero. This midah is the ability to feel what someone else is feeling. If they're in pain, you feel the pain. If they're happy, you feel their simha. It's the ability to feel the heart of the person on the other side. Again, we might have said it was not possible, and maybe we still feel that way. But the Torah tells us it's possible. And not only is it possible, this is the, the midah. 
it seems that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't chosen for his great humility, even though we know he was the most humble man that ever lived. It seems he wasn't chosen for his great wisdom, although Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, it seems, wasn't chosen for ve'ahavta l're'acha kamocha. Even though we see he helped. The pasuk doesn't focus on the fact that he helped his brothers. That's the question we asked. Why does the pasuk say, vayar besivlotam? That he saw their pain. As the Midrash describes, he felt their pain. Why not discuss the fact that he got involved with them. He helped them. The answer is because that's not what Hashem saw in him that was special. It seems that helping another person isn't as great as feeling what they're feeling. And I think we can understand that. Because I think we would say, yes, helping another person, I could do that. I've done that. You know, we've helped people that we didn't care too much about, but we helped them anyway. You don't have to feel someone's pain or feel their need to help them. So the Pasuk doesn't point that out. That wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu's ticket to his greatness. The Pasuk says, Vayar besivlotam. He saw, means he felt. He saw, doesn't just mean he saw with his eyes. It means he saw with his heart. And he identified with that pain. And that's why the Midrash says, Oh, you helped all of Am Yisrael. And we asked, he didn't help every Jew. He did. He might have physically not been able to help every person. But feeling the pain... He was able to feel the pain of every Jew that was suffering. Have you ever been down? Someone slaps you in the back and says, Come on, cheer up. Life's good. Has that ever happened to you? In one way or another, like I described? You have so much to live for. Oh, come on, it's no big deal. Don't worry, be happy. I bet you wanted to smack them. <laughs> How come? You didn't appreciate that. But they're trying to help you. They're trying to cheer you up. Why are you upset with them? And the obvious answer is because even though they're trying to help you and they mean well, but you know that they don't feel where you're at. They're talking from there and you're here. You don't appreciate when someone tries to help you or cheer you up from their position. If you come to my position and you identify with my position, even if you don't say cheer up, it helps me. That's called no se be'ol im habero. 
feeling someone's burden, feeling someone's feelings. In a book, Shari Kedusha, that was written by the student of the Arizam, he writes in Halek Bet Sha'ar Dalat, Velo Zacha Moshe Lekol Ma'alotav. Nobody can make this statement. You have to be the Arid says. He says Moshe did not merit all of his qualities. Moshe Rabbi had a lot of qualities. He says all of his qualities, every one of them, the merit that he had, which means the ladder that got him to all those great qualities, he says, Ela shehaya ohev Israel, he loved Am Israel umetzer betzaratam, and he was in pain when they were in pain. Could you? Who would have imagined that Moshe Rabbeinu, with all of his accomplishments, all of his greatness in so many areas, and says the Arizal, I'll tell you where it comes from. There is a midah that brings about all these qualities. There is a zechut that brings so much blessing into our lives. Noseh be'olim havero. And actually, when the Torah tells us about Moshe Rabbeinu, before Hashem spoke to him at the age of 80, it doesn't say much about his life. Imagine, an 80-year life. How many pages could you write about a life of 80 years? You could write books, especially if you're the creator of the world. You know all the information. There's no end to how much you could write about someone who lived 80 years, especially if that someone is Moshe Rabbeinu. Yet we look in the Torah and we want to know more about this great man. What was he doing for 80 years? What was he involved in? So the Torah actually doesn't say very much. It gives a few stories. Now, if it only gave a few stories for 80 years, so you and I both understand that these stories must be very big. Maybe we wouldn't have known they're very big, but if the Creator chose to write four stories in your life, three stories about your life, and say, this is it, you know these must be something unbelievable. What, what is that? And we read the Torah and we find Moshe Rabbeinu in story number one. We all know the stories. They're not so long. It's one pasuk after the other. We see Moshe Rabbeinu finds an Egyptian man beating up a Jew. So Moshe Rabbeinu gets involved and he kills the Egyptian. 
And then right away, it tells us, the next day, he saw two Jews fighting. And he got involved to help the one that was being taken advantage of. And then the third story, we see Moshe Rabbeinu running away because they found out what he did to the Egyptian. And he finds himself a fugitive running away from the most powerful man in the world, Paro. And he finds himself in Midian looking to find a safe haven. And what does he do? He sees people by the well that are mistreating some young girls. So what does he do? He gets involved. He tries to help them, and he does. It's a very risky proposition. You are running away from a powerful man. You need someone to house you. You need a city to accept you. What are you fighting with the people? Especially in that time, Hazal tell us that Yitro was put in harem. They excommunicated him because he didn't want to serve their idol. Why would you do that? And those are the stories that the Torah tells us about Moshe Rabbeinu. And guess what? Every one of those stories has the exact same theme. One is an Egyptian beating up on his brother. So you might have thought, you know, it's because the Egyptian is beating his brother. That's why he got involved. It was personal. But then the second story is, no, no. Even two Jews. It wasn't a goy with a Jew. It's two Jews. He also got involved. Now you might think, okay, only because there were two Jews. No, no. He went to a foreign place. There's nobody there, not from his family, no one from his community, and he's getting involved. These three stories, they sum up what Hashem has to say about this man. He's a man that if he would see Someone in pain, he feels their pain and will do what it takes to alleviate. Even sometimes risking his own life. And then the Torah tells us a fourth story. It's not written explicitly in the Torah, but it's hinted to. It talks about Moshe Rabbeinu at the age of 80 when God spoke to him. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu was a shepherd for his father-in-law Yitro. And it says he took the sheep, a haram midbar. He took the sheep at the end, after the desert. And Hazal tell us, and then Hashem appeared to him. Hazal tells the connection between Hashem appearing to him and him being a shepherd, a very famous story in the Midrash, where it says that Moshe was taking care of the sheep and one of them ran away and he started chasing after him. And finally there was some water and the sheep went into the water to drink. And Moshe Rabbeinu felt terrible. He didn't realize that he was thirsty. So he carried him on his shoulders. He says the words, when Moshe reached, remember, there was no camera there. There were, nobody, there were no reporters there. 
This was not done in a stadium or in public. This is a man, a shepherd by himself with his sheep. When Moshe reached him, Amar, Ani lo hayiti yodea, Sheratz hayita mipenet sama, Ayef ata. I didn't know that the reason why you ran away because you were tired and you were thirsty. Hirkivo al ketefo, he took the animal on his shoulder, vehaya mehalech, and he took him back to the spot where the rest of the sheep were. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't say it there to him, but he's telling us, Amara Kadosh Baruchu, Yesh Lecha Rahamim, you have compassion, Linhog Tsono Shel Basar Vadam, to go lead sheep, you feel the pain of a sheep, Hayecha, you are qualified to be the leader of my nation. All of these stories have the same exact theme. Nose be'ol. Nose be'ol when it's a stranger against your brother. Nose be'ol when it's two brothers. Nose be'ol when it's no brothers, two strangers. And nose be'ol by a behemah, by an animal. It's one theme that Hashem is sharing with us. It is no accident, therefore, that one of the great books that was written in the last few hundred years from the Saba Mekelem called Sefer Chokmah Musar That when they put all of the different essays that he wrote they put in the beginning all the essays that spoke about this subject That's what the beginning of that book looks like All information about this incredible Midah I feel there are midot that when we hear about them, we say, you know, I do that sometimes. I do it most of the time. I hope to do it more often. But I believe this midah, when we hear about it, and as we're listening to it, it seems so far. It seems so disconnected from us. But we're learning today that it's essential for our success in this world. Certainly in the next world. It's a midah that Yaakov Avinu was able to see in his children. We all know the story of Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi, when their sister was violated, They went ahead and they destroyed a city. They wiped them out. Yaakov wasn't so happy with their reaction. They didn't come to ask him for advice. They just went and acted on their own. 
So when Yaakov was ready to leave this world, and he was giving his children the berachot, or pointing out to them what they've done and who they are. So the Pasuk says, Shimon Velevi, these two brothers, Ahim, they are brothers, means they work together. Kele Hamas which means their tools are tools of violence. Ki be'apam harguish, with their anger, they kill people. He curses their anger. Arur apam ki az. Their anger is to be cursed. All anger needs to be cursed. Because anger is the source of so much problems that we have in life. So he pointed to their anger as the source of what they did wrong. And he ends off by saying, I am going to split them up in Am Yisrael. They're going to be placed all over the land of Israel. They're going to be dispersed. Shimon and Levi didn't have their own area in Eretz Yisrael. They were distributed amongst the Jewish people in the land of Israel. While every Shevet had their own parcel and they split it up. With all the Shevatim, Shimon and Levi did not. So simply when you see this, oh, so why did he not want them to be in together? Simply because they're dangerous. When people like this work together, they're dangerous. So he wanted just to disperse them so that they don't have the same strength of destruction. But Rashi says, no, no, no. The last part, when he spread them amongst Am Yisrael, that wasn't the reason. The reason why they don't have a spot all together as a Shevet, says Rashi, Shehem yihiyu hasofrim umlamede tinokot. Shimon and Levi were given the job by Yaakov Avinu to be the teachers of Am Yisrael. They were going to be teaching kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. They would be the people that would teach Torah to the Jewish people. Which Shevet? Every Shevet. If you go to all of Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, their teachers are going to come from either Shimon and Levi. That's why he had to split them. Because where would they get teachers from? If he put Shimon and Levi in one area, then they wouldn't be able to teach all over the land of Israel. So he had to disperse them so that they could teach. But the question is, why can't any other Shevet teach? Why are these the future teachers of Am Yisrael? I thought you were just upset 
with them. You were angry with them. You said they did a terrible thing. They wiped out a country with their anger. So why are they teaching the children of Am Yisrael so much that we need to have them dispersed? Because nobody in Am Yisrael could teach like these people. Where do we see their qualification for teaching Torah to the children and the adults of Am Yisrael? What an interesting way to start the beracha and end it. You start by ripping them for what they did, and then you say, so therefore, I'm going to distribute you equally because you're the most important people. That doesn't make any sense. In a book called Emet Le'akov, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Zecher Tzadik Levercha, says a beautiful Beautiful commentary on this. He says, when Yaakov approached them after what they did in the city of Shechem, their reaction was, Should our sister be treated like a zona? From those words, and obviously the way it was said, and the way they reacted, yes, they didn't do the right thing, but what brought them to do what they did was something very holy and very big. They felt the pain of their sister. How can our sister be violated and we don't do anything? You know who the only two people that said that? Were Shimon and Levi. Not Reuben, the Bechor. Not anybody else. Only Shimon and Levi. Yaakov saw that these two Sons felt the pain of their sister like it happened to themselves. And again, true, they still should have asked advice. Just because you feel someone's pain, it doesn't mean you should go out and do things without asking the Gadolador Yaakov Avino. Clear. But this midah of feeling someone's pain. This is the midah that we need for the teachers of Am Yisrael. And if you ask me, what does this midah have to do with teaching? Maybe this midah is for people who will visit prisons. Maybe this midah is needed to go and work on Hatzalah, or maybe to go and visit hospitals. What does this midah of feeling someone's pain, what does that have to do with being a great teacher? How does that add up? They felt their sister's pain? Yaakov says, you're the teachers of Amisa. What's the connection? Children aren't in pain. They're coming to learn. 
So you would think, give them the best teachers, the most educated, the smartest, the most learned, maybe the ones who are able to speak in the most fluent way. What does this have to do with teaching? But in reality, you don't have to be around education too long to realize that the best teachers are not the smartest teachers. They're not the ones that have the best communication. All these things are obviously necessary to prepare. The greatest teachers are the people who feel what the student is understanding. You could prepare this unbelievable class on any subject. You come in and you have it clear and you say it in the most brilliant way. But if you're not feeling what that boy, what that girl is feeling, if you're not in their minds to appreciate what they heard, not what you said, what questions... You know, one time I went to a class. It was a very disturbing class, actually. Someone, someone asked me to come and visit a classroom of what they said was an unbelievably genius class that was given to high school boys. So I happened to be visiting somewhere. I said, I'll come in. I sat in that class. And literally, I walked out thinking to myself, this man took 20 boys that walked in half normal and he made them zero normal. <laughs> and it wasn't anything bad that he said, but clearly the topic was very very difficult and clearly he said some things that were hard to understand which is okay but he didn't bother explaining all the difficulties that he put in their brain could you imagine going into someone's brain planting a bomb and just walking away from it and not teaching them how to figure out how to make sure it doesn't go off he put in all these ideas, which were correct ideas. He didn't say anything wrong. He put in all the right ideas. But it doesn't take a genius to realize that these kids, when they heard it, they had automatic questions. When he said A, they were saying, but wait, how could that make sense? What about this? But he failed to address maybe five or six questions along the way. That was so critical that a kid's walking out of that class saying, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense. How could this be? Again, the man said nothing wrong. What was he missing? He was missing this midah. He came and gave a great shi'ur for himself. I'm not saying he was selfish. But he didn't have this midah. Because if he would look around the room 
and seen the eyes of those boys, he would have seen some confused people. He would have seen people that had questions that needed to be answered. And he didn't pay attention because he was giving his class. It was the class that he prepared, that he needed to give over. Maybe he needed to show me how much he knows. But it was an absolute disaster. The greatest teachers are the ones that feel the soul of the student that's sitting in front of them. What do they need to hear? What is it that may be bothering them now after I said this? Knowing who they are, they probably have this question. I better answer it, because if I don't, they walked out really confused. Not only a great teacher, a great mother, a great father, especially in today's world, where the world is moving a thousand miles a year. If a mother and father don't understand where their kids are and don't feel what's bothering them, if they don't feel their pain, if they don't know their challenges, there is very little chance they can help them. It's like someone saying, come on, cheer up. It's all good. But you don't even know what I'm feeling. You have no idea what I'm going through. You come from a different world. You grew up five years ago. Five years later, it's like 50 years later. It's a different world. But is it possible that you can help people if they're not like you? Of course. But you need one midah. No se be'ol aim havero. You need to feel what the other person feels. And that's why it's not an accident that the leader of Am Yisrael, who took them out of Egypt, so that you'll say, Moshe qualifies for that. Because to lead people, you have to feel their pain. You have to cry with them. You have to feel where they're coming from. When they complain to you, you have to know what they're going through. Clearly, a leader needs to have no sebe olim havero. How could you lead people if you don't understand them? But why does the same person have to be the one that brings the Torah to Am Yisrael? Why is he Moshe Rabbeinu? He's not Moshe HaMelech. He's not Moshe Manhig, the leader. He's Moshe. He's known more than anything else. He's known as Moshe, our teacher. Why is he the one bringing down the Torah? and teaching 40 years of Torah Ta'am Israel. Answer is, no se be'ol im havero. You can't teach, not effectively. You can't reach the other person if you don't know where they're coming from. And for that, you need to feel where they are. That's what Yaakov saw in Shimon and Levi. He saw an unbelievable connection to their sister who was violated. He saw two brothers that felt the pain of what it felt like for her and they acted. Again, they did the wrong thing. But the shoresh, the source of that, was something very special. Yaakov says, Ahalekim be'Yaakov. You guys, no one could teach like you guys. You need to be out there all over the land of Israel. And you're going to have to teach. 
because we can't risk students in front of teachers that don't identify with what the student is thinking and what they're feeling. Even Hashem practices for us this midah. Hashem role models for us this characteristic. In fact, not very far from our subject. When Hashem, it says that Hashem appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu, the angel of Hashem, appeared in a fire, mitoch from the bush. The Midrash, Rashi brings it, velo mitoch ilan. Hashem could have come from a tree. Tree is more beautiful going a palm tree. Appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu on a beautiful tree with fruits and a fire will burn. Sounds so much more beautiful. The picture, the movie would come out so much nicer if it was done by a beautiful tree. Where did Hashem appear to him? By a bush in the desert? By a thorn bush in the desert? That's how the creator of the world appears to Moshe Rabbeinu for the first time? Where is the kavod? Where is Har Sinai? Where is all the sounds and the fire and, the, and all the great... What, what's going on? Says Rashi from the Midrash, Velo mitoch ilan. Mishum, you know why? Aimo anochi betzara. Hashem says, while my people are suffering, I'm going to appear on a beautiful tree to you. Where is my identification with the pain of Am Yisrael? In fact, the Midrash says, I'm talking to you from the thorns. The Pasuk says, But in their eyes, they were like thorns. Hashem is relating the way Am Yisrael felt. And he came from a thorn bush to identify with their pain. Like he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Ki yadati et machobav. I feel their pain, I understand it. I understand what they're going through. You can't help another person unless you understand what they're going through. But there's more than that. It's more than feeling someone's pain. This gets even harder. We find sources in the Torah that it's not just feeling the pain, but it's acting like you feel the pain. Which means something visible in your physical world that shows you're in pain. I'll give you an example. It says by yourself when you finally landed a job in Egypt as a slave and he became very successful at that and the master trusted him completely. He gave him full freedom, gave him a little space. 
says, kol asher lo beyad Yosef. He left everything in the hands of Yosef. He gave him total rule over his house. He trusted him 100%. The Pasuk ends, Vayhi Yosef yefe to'ar vife mar'e. Yosef was a beautiful person. Rashi Allah Shalom brings one explanation to this and says that when Yosef saw a little more breathing space, and this man went through a lot. He had a very hard, I don't know if it was a week, a month, I don't know how long it was until that time. He had a hard time. He went some real trauma until he got to that point. Finally got some breathing space. He started to eat normally. He started to drink normally for the first time. He was curling his hair. I guess he was combing his hair. Hashem didn't like that. Amara Kadosh Baruch Hashem tells him, Avicha mit Abel, your father is sitting in mourning for you. Ve'ata mesalsel besadech, and you're curling your hair, you're relaxing. Ani megare becha et hadob. I'm going to send the bear against you. That's when the wife of Potiphar started to give him a hard time. I don't know that I would have had any problem with Yosef curling his hair. Yaakov wasn't there. What what do you want Yosef to do? He's stuck in Egypt. And maybe he felt Yaakov's pain. But what should he do? But you see, it's not like that. Feeling someone's pain in certain situations seems you have to even act on it. Like certain things you don't do when someone's in pain. It happened to Yosef again, but this time it seems he learned his lesson. It says that when Yosef became the ruler of Egypt, the viceroy of Egypt, he got married and he had two boys. U Yosef Yulad Shne Banim. He had two boys. Beteren Tavosh Before the year, the years of hunger came to Mitzrayim. Again, read the Pasuk. He had two boys before the years of hunger. But what does that matter? When he had the two boys. Why is the Pasuk saying before the years of hunger? Says Rashi, Allah Shalom, Mikan. From here, we learn that Yosef, during the years of hunger, would not have children. 
Because how could a man live his life normally, be with his wife, while Egypt is suffering in hunger? So when did he have his children? Before the hunger. During the hunger, he didn't behave like it's normal out there. He was mishtatef. He was sharing the pain of the people that he lived with. How could he live like life is normal? Again, the Egyptians would not know, would not see, per se. But that doesn't matter. That's called the Midah of Nosebe Om. In fact, when his brothers moved down to Egypt, the Pasuk says, Vaychalkel Yosef et Aviv et Ehav, he fed them. He fed his father, he fed his brothers, ve'et kol bet Aviv, and the entire family. Lehem lefi hatav. He gave them bread according to the need. You're, what do you mean? You're the viceroy of Egypt. It's your family. You just give them. You know, you have these countries that have such poverty. People don't have bread to eat. And yet behind the palace, there are people throwing food out. Banquets, cooks, food, no end. Yosef could have fed his family. He owned Egypt, practically. He had all the food. And it's his. You, you wouldn't feel like he's taking somebody else's food. It's his food. Says the Sephorno, can't be. He had, you could give him much more. Fill up the pantries. What, what's the problem? He says, no. He gave them only what they needed. Why? He quotes a Gemara Ta'anit. Bizman shehatsibur sharui betsa'ar. When people around you are suffering, <coughs> I don't know what the extent of around you is, but if people around you are suffering, Ali Yomar Adam, a person should not say, Elech lebeti, I will go to my house. Ve'ochal ve'eshte, I will eat normal, I will drink normal. Veshalom alayich nafshi. My soul will have shalom. Listen, whatever is out there is out there. But my life will continue normally. Says the Torah, no. Yosef would not allow his life to go on normally, even though he could afford it. Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, by the war with Amalek, it says, vide. Moshe Kebedim. Moshe is an old man, not a young boy. His arms were heavy. Vayikhu Evan, they took a stone. Vayasimu Tahtav. You know, he was praying for Am Yisrael during the war. They were fighting, he was praying. His hands were heavy, he couldn't hold his hands up anymore and feel up. So, what they do? They brought us a rock and they put it under him by Yeshev Aleha and he sat on the rock. 
and they held up his hands. Aharon and Hur, they held up his hands to help him. The Gemara and Ta'anit finds it interesting that they put a rock under him to sit. Says the Gemara, I don't understand. He didn't have a blanket. He didn't have a pillow. They had to put a rock under him to sit. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Melech of Am Yisrael. What are they putting rocks under him? They put a stone for him to sit on? Says the Gemara, Amar Moshe. Moshe would not allow them. Obviously, Torah told you what they put under him for a reason. To teach you something. Not every time Moshe Rabbeinu sits, it says what he sat on. Because it doesn't matter. But here it matters. Torah says they took a rock and they put under him. Um, Moshe says, Ho'il ve'Yisrael sheruyim betza'ar. Am Yisrael is in a war. Af ani imahem betza'ar. I have to also put a little tsar in my life. I can't behave like life is normal. I can't sit on pillows. I can't do it. Too comfortable. Again, Am Yisrael didn't see him. They're fighting. The soldiers are not there. It doesn't matter. It's not about them. This is a midah that you practice for yourself. Famous, many stories. Hafez Hayim was a rabbi of Shulman. He says that in the First World War, he slept in the same room as the Hafez Hayim. I don't know for how long. And if you sleep with the Hafez Hayim in a room, you don't, you, you don't, you make sure you use that opportunity to look at how he sleeps. He says during the World War he would not sleep with a pillow under his head. He told him, how is it possible that I can put a pillow under my head for extra comfort when so many Jews are in sa'ad, are in pain? The Gemara Megillah Reports that Rabbi Zerah was a very lived a very beautiful long life. You know, I'm afraid when I give this class about two things. Number one, I'm afraid for myself because I know this is very far from me. Sometimes I speak about subjects, I feel I'm somewhat connected to the subject. I have to get better, but I feel like, wow, you know, I could talk about this. It's something I do. It's something I'm, I'm involved in. This subject, I feel, if you feel disconnected right now, me too. So let's put it clear. I don't feel like I do this. I don't, I don't know if I can do it altogether. That's number one. The second one, I'm afraid that you're going to walk out of here after all these examples and say, wow, what a depressing life this is. <laughs> Could you imagine? I gotta feel everybody's pain. I mean, I have enough problems with my own pain. Now I gotta feel this one's pain and that one's pain. 
That's my second fear. So the first fear, I really don't know what to say about it. All I'm going to say is, I'm trying harder, and I'm going to work harder at it. To feel the pain of other people it has to be sincere. It can't be in words. Because you'll never know if I do or I don't. It's between me and my creator. So I'm just going to try harder. I know that it can be done. I know because the Torah says it could be done. I know because there are people that I've met in my lifetime. Not a lot. I've met a few people in my lifetime. My lifetime. But I felt there was a certain identification with myself. For the second part, that we need to talk about. The Gemara says in Masechet Megillah that Rabbi Zera, he lived a very long and beautiful life. So of course, if you see someone live a long and beautiful life, smart thing to do is to ask, how did you do it? What's your secret? Who doesn't want to live a long, good life? So they did what everybody should do in that situation. They asked them, Sha'alu et Rabbi Zerah. Tell me, how did you have such a beautiful long life? Amar, listen to this answer. I was never happy. I was never happy at the downfall of my friend. You know, some people, maybe us, when we see someone fall, sometimes you're happy. It's how life is sometimes. It's unfortunate. We don't like to admit it. We shouldn't even talk about it. But we know it's there. Sometimes when you're in a competitive world that we're in, and someone loses a lot of money, especially if they're your competition, so like there's like a little happiness. There's someone that you're in, you're competing for something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's whatever. And something not so good happens to them. There's this feeling of sason. Sason besimha. Happiness. Of course, on the outside, you tell the person, I feel so bad for you. I'm crying. My heart's crying for you. You say all the right words. At the end of the day, in reality, a lot of us feel a certain happiness. Maybe we're guilty to admit it, and we should be guilty, don't admit it. But it's reality. So he says, I never felt happiness when my friend was down. That's how I lived a long life. Now really, you would have expected something much better from Rabbi Zerah. What the Hidush? Rabbi Zerah, the great Emora, that he, he wasn't happy for somebody's downfall? That's it? That's the whole Hidush of why he lived long life? 
Again, for me and you, it's yeah, wow, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty good. For a great rabbi like that, don't we expect more from him than that? Some explain beautifully. That's not what he was saying. He was saying something else. He says, Velosasti. I never allowed myself full enjoyment when my friend was down. If my friend was down, my simha also was down. If my neighbors were down, I made sure to lower my own simha. Which means that this midah doesn't make you unhappy as it seems. You see, you come into this class, you think that worrying about other people is going to make your life miserable. Especially sitting on rocks because they're in pain, that's even more miserable. Lessening my pleasures because of somebody's pain that's around me, that's not a good life. But that's the way of the world. It's, world. it's called the world of darkness. What seems right is wrong. What seems wrong is right. That's the way it works. Here we're learning in this Gemara the opposite. When we feel someone's pain, it makes our life better. It's hard to understand. But perhaps in our subject, it's easier to understand. When we're sitting and worried, we get worried about what people will say. What's going to happen to me? What's going to be the result? And endless worries about things. What are the worries focused on? They're always focused on me. My worries in life are always focused on me. But perhaps the explanation of this camera is that Hashem created something called worry. Worry is something that we're going to have in our lives. This is my own explanation. I'm not quoting anybody. Perhaps there's a certain amount of worry that every person has to go through every day, every week. It's like a bucket of worry. Like the worry bucket in your mind. Just a certain amount. Maybe this week you'll get two gallons. Maybe four gallons next week. Maybe they give you a break of one gallon one week. A person, Hashem knows how to guide a person. Each and every one of us has an amount of worry that is going to be placed in their life. I don't know if they divide it hourly, daily, weekly, or maybe by Rosh Hashanah. I don't know. But everyone's going to have this feeling called worry. This horrible feeling that basically ties us up and makes it impossible to live a normal life. But perhaps 
the solution is that that worry was given to us to use it on others. But when we don't use it on others, there are people in our lives that we need to worry about. It could be a friend, it could be it could be a family member. It could be a child, it could be an adult, it could be an elder. We are around people. And sometimes people are having a hard time. And perfect. The worry that Hashem gave us, the energy of worry, is exactly what we need to use to help those people. But like everything in life, when Hashem gives something good to a person, if they don't use it, it will turn against them. If you don't use your worry to worry about others, then there's only one other person to worry about. It's yourself. Tell me, how did you live a great long life? When I saw my friend down, I took it a notch down. I didn't behave like nothing was going on. I took away the pillow for the night. I didn't make it like everything is perfect. I didn't throw out too much food. I ate a little more simple when I saw the people around me are losing money left and right. I did something to worry about them. I acted with that worry, with that pain. We might have said, oh wow, terrible. What a lot, not opposite, what do you mean terrible? He took the worry and he applied it in the right way. And he lived a great life. It's not what we think. It's not that when you worry about others, you're going to have a horrible life. It's exactly opposite. But you might say, you know, can I handle all of this? Can I handle everyone's problems? First of all, we're not asking people to go out and collect problems from others. There's no need for that. But living in a normal life, you're going to have people around you that have issues. You don't have to go ask them. You don't need a hotline for it. It's just going to happen. And if it happens to you, if someone comes crying to you, then probably there's something you can do to help them. You can identify with their pain. It's an opportunity. It's not always easy. Sometimes you have to leave your, like Moshe Rabbeinu, leave your dealings and get involved with something else. And sometimes you can't. It's possible. But clearly Hashem sends us in life situations that come to our table to be able to share the pain of another person with ourselves. We're supposed to use it. And when we don't use it, it turns against us. Can I handle everything? So I'm going to give you a warning. This is a warning. If you ask me, can I handle all the pain of so many people? Is it possible? Am I not going to drive myself crazy? Am I not going to be broken? How, how could it be? So I'm going to tell you the warning and the solution.
if you go into this area of life, for some of us it's going to be a new way of life. If you go into this area of life without emuna, mm -hmm. then I would recommend you wait a little bit. Because let me explain to you what breaks a person. What breaks a person is never the problem. What breaks the person is when they feel, how could this be? How could this happen? I can't believe it. To me? To him? Where is the fairness? Where is the, where is the kindness? Where is the love? When a person has a difficulty in their life, the difficulty itself is not painful to break a person. But when a person feels they've been shortchanged and they feel like, how could this happen to me? I'm such a great person. I thought Hashem loves me. Why is this happening? I just prayed this morning. What happened? Those kinds of reactions clearly show a lack of emunah, either a lack of knowledge of emunah or a lack of observance of emunah. And then you become a broken person. When we see, when we say, feel the other person's pain, it doesn't mean to question the Creator. You know, sometimes people, they see pain around that person and they say, ah, oh, ya haram. Can't believe this happened to him. He's such a good guy. Such a tzaddik. Such a tzaddikah. How could this happen to such good people? If this is your mindset, I would stay out of this class. Delete this class from your files and go back to it later on in your life. Because if that's going to be your attitude when you deal with people, how each one is being hazid and taken advantage of and how he doesn't deserve it and how he's great and how could it be, then you're not going to be able to handle that too much. You're going to end up being a kofir after, after two weeks. And Munah says, if this is happening to that person, Hashem knows what he's doing. I'm not getting involved in God's business. But I feel the guy's pain. One has nothing to do with the other. I can feel your pain even though I know you need it. For example, a person is going to a surgery. They give him this big fat shot. And they go, ow! And they're screaming. Now, you feel their pain. That's okay. But you know it's good. One has nothing to do with the other. You could look at that person and realize they need to go through this. You may know why. You may not know why. You may share it with them. You may not share it with them, depending on the situation. That's not relevant. What's relevant is that you have emunah. And you know that everything Hashem has done is with a hashbon, and it's good for the person. You have to have that. And then you could feel people's pain. People's pain don't bring us down. It's our questioning, our 
lack of emunah, our disappointment in the way Hashem runs His world, and all these types of comments, that could break a person. But emunah and feeling someone's pain are partners. They're very good partners. They will help the person in their life. We too can be ma'arich yamim. You know, people, you know, Am Yisrael, when they were described in the beginning of Parashat Shemot, it says, Ve'ele Shemot b'nei Yisrael. Hashem counted the people that came to Egypt. So if you look at Rashi over there, he says, why did he count them again? He just counted them before. It says, Lehodia Hibatan. Hashem wanted to show us how much He loved them. Shenim Shelu, that Am Yisrael was compared lekochavim to stars. The question is, what does that mean to stars, as opposed to the sun, as opposed to the moon, as opposed to the sand? What exactly is it about Am Yisrael that makes them a star? If we see them, we see them in other places compared to something else. Why here star? And why in Parashat Shemot are they called a star? I saw a beautiful answer. That we know in the creation of the world, originally, Hashem made et shene ha-me'orot ha-gedolim. Hashem made two very large luminaries, lights, two suns that gave light to this world. The sun and the moon. But then it says, Et hama'or ha-gadol le-nemshelet hayom. He put the large one during the day, ve-et hama'or ha-katon, the small one, he put it at night. But wait, the pasuk started, that Hashem made et shene to Ha-me'orot ha-gedolim. He made two large ones. When did the small one show up? So Hazal bring, Rashi brings it that the moon complained and says it's not possible to have two kings, two lights like that. So Hashem said, okay. So we'll make you small. So the sun became the sun, and the moon got less. It's a cute story. It needs obviously more explanation, but for now it's enough. But the Pasuk says, when Hashem made the Ma'or HaKaton for the night, and then it says, Ve'et HaKochavim, and the stars. Well, What's, where the stars come in? We started with two big luminaries. We ended up with one luminary that's large, one luminary that's small, and stars. Where they come from? Comes Hazal Rashi brings it. Ve'eta kochavim al levana. Since Hashem made the moon small. He made the army around the moon 
plenty. He made many, many stars. Lehafis data to make her feel better. Kilo Hashem felt the pain of the moon. She stood up for something. She lost all her size. I said, you know what? I'm going to make an army around you. And he made the stars around the moon. Ve'et ha-kochavim. Why in Mitzrayim is Am Yisrael compared to stars? Why specifically in that parasha? Well, let's think. Why did Am Yisrael have to go to Mitzrayim altogether? Why did they go to Egypt for? Why do we have to go through slavery? The Midrash explains because they needed to feel each other's pain. And that would happen when an entire nation is sharing in the same problem. All of us in Mitzrayim, the development of Am Yisrael before they were able to receive the Torah is developing feeling the pain of the other person identifying with it Hashem sent us down to Mitzrayim all as slaves that we can care for each other and in fact the Midrash says Hafez Hayim brings it that they started to take care of each other you know when people are in pain believe it or not you think when people have, people have everything, they start looking out for each other. It's not like that. The norm of the world, it should be like that, but it's not. Normally when people have everything, they start to become exclusive. They start to become more selfish. They start to worry more about themselves. When people lose a lot and don't have that much, all of a sudden they start feeling the needs of people around them. Interesting thing. In Ami, in, in Mitzrayim, Hashem sent us down there that we could learn to feel the pain of each other and think about the other person. So why are we compared to Kochavim when we were sent down to Mitzrayim? Because the entire creation of the stars was not for itself. A star was not created for himself. The stars were created to make the moon feel better. The whole creation of stars was not for themselves. It was for someone other than themselves. Which bring us to the beautiful words there's no, there's no, I can't, I have to say it exactly as he wrote it. In the book called Nefesh Hayim, one of the great books of Musar, of strength, of Hizuk, the son of the author, writes about his father, of Chaim Rebbelaj. He says his father would say the following line. That the Adam, the person, lo le'atzmo nivra. A person wasn't created 
worry about himself. The purpose of the creation of, of, of a human is only to benefit others in however ability he has to help another person. Could you imagine? Somebody asks, why were you created? I, I, I was created to grow to learn, to do mitzvot. And comes this great man and says, no. You're like the kochav. Am Yisrael went to Mitzrayim to become kochavim, to become stars that understand that their creation was not for themselves. Actually, the greatness of a person is when they live their life for others. And that's what it means to be Nose Be'ol Im Havero. Nose Be'ol Im Havero is not only when the person knows about it. Sometimes a person cries with you and that lessens the burden. That's beautiful. But this halakha is even when the person doesn't know like the cases we gave, a number of cases, by Moshe Rabbeinu. The soldiers didn't see Moshe Rabbeinu if he was sitting on a rock or he was sitting on a bench. The Jews in Europe didn't see the Hafez Hayim if he had a pillow or not. So how does that work? How does it work? I understand if I'm next to you and I cry with you. I got it. But how does it work? I'm not even next to you. You don't even know. When Am Yisrael, when, when, the, when Yosef's brothers are eating in Egypt on their table, nobody saw. What's the difference if they had more food? Nobody would know. So you see, this is also in private. Even if the other person doesn't know, even then, there is such a thing. To be no haveno. Someone is not feeling well, and you hear about it. There is anyan to feel the pain. <coughs> what is that all about? When they see you, they feel the burden got less because you feel their pain. Clear. But when they don't see you, what does that do for you? You don't even know they have any idea. You have no idea what they're doing. What's the answer to that? I'm going to give you the answer and with this we end. The Pasuk says, El emunah ve'en avel that Hashem is ne'eman. Ne'eman means He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is true. He is emet. All that and more is the explanation of the word ne'eman. It's the most beautiful midah. To be ne'eman. Loyal. Real. Sincere. Just keep on adding words. I'm just not so good in the language. There's more words that can describe the word ne'eman. 
El emunah, says Moshe Rabbeinu in Parashat Ha'azinu, describing Hashem. El emunah ve'en avel. And he's not evil. Now those, that sentence doesn't go. You could say about a person who is a thief. You know, he's always stealing, but he's not evil. You know, he kills people, but he's not evil. He's just hazid. You could say that in such a context. But you can't start by saying, this is the greatest person ever. He's got the most magnificent way about them. They're honest, they're true, they're beautiful. And they're not evil. They're not evil. Of course they're not evil. What you just described, what does that have to do with evil? The answer to this question is as follows. That a human in this world, he could be ne'eman, but sometimes he's evil at the same time. An example of that, we might have shared this before, is a judge. Person murders, they bring him to court, they bring the witnesses, it's clear, the person admits that he killed. No question. There is a halakha, if you kill, they put you in life prison, they may kill you. So, in this country, they're going to kill the person. No questions. Nobody's disputing. Not the lawyers, not the guy. Is that called emuna? Is the judge doing his job? Yes. He is honest, faithful to the law. He did everything he can to make sure that the law is correct. El emuna. But all of a sudden, when he starts to say guilty, death sentence, there is this crazy woman that's running wild, screaming in the courtroom. She's running towards the judge. Security comes. Who are you? She's screaming to the judge. You're evil. You're an evil man. Who is he? I'm the guy's wife. His wife. Why call me evil? Well, did you not see? Did you not see all the proofs? Your husband admitted. Why calling me evil? What did I do? She said, I know my husband killed. I know he deserves to die. But what, what did I do? That I should lose my husband? What did my children do that they lost their father? Very nice. You're doing a great job for my husband, but you're evil to me and my children. We didn't do anything wrong. We didn't kill. We didn't hurt anybody. Why should we suffer now? What would the judge say? It's a great question. It's a beautiful question. There's really nothing to say. The answer is, that's just the way it is. There's nothing to do. What can we do? But says Moshe Rabbeinu, in Hashem's court, it's not like that. El emunah ve'en avel. 
before Hashem passes a verdict of someone who's guilty, they're supposed to suffer, God forbid, or they're supposed to die, or they're supposed to lose their money, or they, whatever it is. That's the right thing for that person. No question. Before Hashem puts that into action, He first takes a x-ray of all the people that will be affected by this decision. And each one to see if they deserve to be negatively affected by this decision. And let's say one person out of a hundred doesn't deserve the pain of this person suffering and they will be in pain when they hear the person, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a, it's a brother, maybe it's a mother, maybe it's a son, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a business partner, whatever it might be. They scan all his relationships and all the people that he knows and they see there's one person that doesn't deserve the pain that he will feel when he hears what happened. So what, what do they do? They don't do anything. El emuna, Hashem is ne'eman, ve'en avel. But there's never evil. Because they make sure they take into account the wife and the children and the parents and the grandchildren and the, everybody's, the whole, everyone affected will be accountable first and then they will go ahead with it. It's not their fault that he got punished, but they could save him if they don't deserve themselves to feel that pain. So what does it do if I feel someone's pain? They don't know about it. I'm not sleeping with pillows tonight. They don't know. So I'm suffering. What does it help them? Well, first of all, it helps me because I become the person like a star. So it helps me live my life in a really high level. Instead of thinking about me all day, I think about others all day, which is the purpose of my creation. So it definitely helps me to worry about them, but it also helps them. Because if I'm in pain for you, maybe I'm not supposed to be in pain. And if I'm not supposed to be in pain, and I'm in pain for you, the only solution is to take that person out of their pain. Because if there's somebody in pain that doesn't deserve it, then that person won't be in pain. And that's why it would be a great idea when somebody's in pain to go to a great rabbi or a great tzaddik or a great tzaddiket to pray for them. The Gemara says, someone having issue, go to the hacham, tell them to pray for you. Why? Go to anybody to pray for you. No, no, no. Because you want to go to somebody who hopefully doesn't deserve pain. And if that person is going to be in pain for you, then that could save you from your pain. Because he doesn't deserve the pain. So when we are in pain for another person, it's like a tefillah for that person. It's like a prayer for that person. 
It could be a savior for that person. Because now we're in pain. We just got thrown into the mix. Before they scanned a hundred people, they all deserved the pain. They said, let's go, let's go with it. It's fine. Judgment goes. Now you jumped in. Ah, you're in pain too. Oh no, we didn't take you into account. And now you saved that person. A sincere tefillah that comes from pain for another person, even if they don't know, is so precious. An act of tsar, an act of pain for another person is so precious. No, no, it doesn't take away your happiness. Hafuch, the opposite. It makes your life rich. It makes your life fulfilled. It's something we have to start practicing. It's not so natural to us. Certainly not in this country. Not in this country. Everybody in this country is out for himself. That's the world we grew up in. It's almost like natural to us. Listening to this class sounds like we're in Mars. What are you talking about? Feeling somebody's pain. What does that mean? We gotta practice it. We gotta practice it for ourselves. And we gotta practice it for others. We know the story of Miriam. Miriam, when her brother Moshe was thrown in the water. So the Basuk says she stood. Miriam stood. She stood from far. To know to know what will happen to him. We all know that story. But Rambam, in Ilchot, Tzara'at, when he's talking about how to be careful from Lashon Hara, and he brings the story of Miriam when she spoke Lashon Hara against her brother, and how terrible of an effect that had, he says, look at Miriam. He says, Miriam, she was older than him. She raised him, says the Rambam. She put herself in danger. She put herself in danger to save him from the water. And still, she spoke of Shara. She got punished. So be careful. Why does the Rambam say she put herself in danger to save him from the water? She didn't, she didn't stand there to save him. That's not what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says she stood there to see what's going to happen to him. She wasn't saving him. She was just watching to see. A great question on the Rambam. Where do you get it from? Doesn't he read the same pasuk that we read? He doesn't make things up. You know what the answer is? That when you see the child in the water and you make sure you watch and you feel the pain of that child, you might just be saving him because of your pain. Unlike Hagar by Ishmael, she said, I can't see my child suffering. She moved far away. She didn't want to see it. 
Miriam said, I have to go see it. Because I need to save this kid's life. What do you mean? You're not saving his life. You're not going in the water. But feeling his pain could save his life. Rambam says, she stood She stood to save him from getting killed. Anyway, there's a lot more on the subject. I'm going to cut it short. I know you'd like that. I really have about 10 more pages. But I think it's enough for today. Bottom line, bottom line is, the bottom line is, we need to practice this. It's not natural. This is not one of those things that you say, you know, I'm going to get better at it. You know, I got to start it. I got to start it. When you hear something, you see somebody, to try our best to start to identify with that person, to feel their pain, to pray for them from the heart, and that is this will be the beginning of the Yeshua for them and for us. Amen.